About 10 years ago, uh, the insurance company Allstate introduced this character into their ad campaigns named Mayhem. Uh, Mayhem. Mayhem uh, is a really hilarious and interesting character played by the actor Dean Winters. And these commercials that Allstate puts on are so fascinating because not only does this Mr. Mayhem play the narrator, but he also is, in fact, essentially the personification of everything terrible that could happen to you. And he takes that role of disaster in all sorts of various forms. So in one commercial, Mayhem plays the guy uh, who steals your car by smashing a flagpole uh, through your windshield. In another commercial, Mayhem is the teenage driver of a pink SUV who smashes into your car in a parking lot while texting. Uh, and perhaps my, my favorite commercial, Mayhem is the terrible cat that you brought into your home, which creates anarchy and destroys your property while scheming your demise. Uh, and you can see a picture of, of that, that cat there. So you know, these, these commercials are amazing and, and um, they're hilarious. And, and they've actually become one of the, the longest running, I mean, over a decade now, one of the longest running ad campaigns um, that, that we know of. And of course, you, you might ask why. And of course, part of the reason is because they're so funny. But I think also part of the reason is because there's something about them that kind of strike a chord, especially right now, that we all know that mayhem is everywhere. Mayhem is potentially around every corner. In this kind of world that we live in, a world that is as broken as our world, a world that is as fallen as our world, a world that is not the way it's supposed to be, mayhem can be anywhere and everywhere. Mayhem can always, is always going to be a part of your life. And we know that right now more than ever. That mayhem takes all kinds of fashions and forms. In the face of a global pandemic, we see that mayhem can be microscopic. You know, in the face of our racial conflict, we see that mayhem can be historic and systemic. Uh, in the face of our economic volatility, we see that mayhem works its way into our businesses and budget books. Uh, and in the face of our personal struggle through this season of pandemic, we see that mayhem almost becomes a ubiquitous part of our life, seeping into every crevice of our decisions, filling us often with discouragement and even despair. And so if you don't know yet that mayhem is a routine part of life, I'm not sure where you've been. Uh, and, and to paraphrase an old timer, if mayhem has not crept into your life, just keep on living. Just keep on living. Because mayhem comes for us all. So what do we do? What do we do in a world of mayhem? What do we do in a world of mayhem? Well, you know, at the end of every Allstate commercial, there is always a question. There's always a question. Do you remember what the question is? Any of y'all remember what the question is? Are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? And that's our question for this morning. In a way, I think that's what the question that this psalm is posing. In the, in the face of the world's mayhem, in the face of 
so much uncertainty and trouble. Are you in good hands? Is your life safe? Is your life secure? And Psalm 125 is inviting you into safety in the hands of God. Safety in the hands of God. The theme for today is safety, security. The implicit question in this psalm is, what keeps you safe? In the midst of a world of wickedness and sin and mayhem, where do you find protection? Where does your safety come from? Are you in good hands? You know, there's some really powerful imagery uh, in this psalm that I love. All of the previous psalms of ascent that we've looked at so far have taken the theme of the journey to Jerusalem and use that journey as a metaphor to describe uh, a, your life with God. This psalm is different because it is taking actually the city of Jerusalem as a metaphor for our life with God. Look at verse two. It says this, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Jerusalem, uh, we've talked about this in previous weeks. Jerusalem was built uh, on a very high hill in the southern mountain range of Israel. And the temple was built in the highest point of the city at a big crest in the city of Jerusalem on top of a hill. And that was called Mount Zion. And then, if you can just picture it, surrounding this tall hill of Jerusalem were taller mountains almost on every side. And that geographic and geological position made Jerusalem one of the strongest, most fortified, and most defensible cities in the ancient world. It, it was nearly impossible for an, an, an invading army to first break through the mountains and then to siege up the hill from an inferior lower position. So Jerusalem, because of its position, because of the height, because of the hill, because of the mountains was safe and secure. And so the psalmist who has certainly been to Jerusalem, he's seen it, he's been there. He's just imagining that city in his mind. He's imagining its security. He's imagining its strength. He's imagining those mountains surrounding it. And he's thinking to himself, you know, my life is like that. And your life can be like that when you know the true and living God, just like the mountains surround Jerusalem and make it safe. So the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. And the image that I get is of, is of like a little child in the arms of a mother that little child surrounded and safe, kept in the strong hands of one who loves her. That's our position. You are in good hands, the best hands, the mighty hands, the hands of God in a world of mayhem, in a world of trouble and oppression and sorrow and sin. Psalm 25 invites you into a humble confidence and live the truth that you are secure, safe, in the hands of God. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Is that true for you? Are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? What I think is really rich about this psalm is that it is no Pollyanna poem. 
You know, this Psalm does not like sort of naively suggest that if you know and follow the living God, that you are somehow immune from trouble and you're kind of safe from all of the difficulties and troubles of the world. No. In fact, in his book, the long, a long obedience in the same direction, which we're sort of basing the series on Eugene Peterson says this, the Psalm makes its mark, not by naively whistling when life is dark, but by honestly facing the typical insecurities that beset us and putting them in their place. I love what he's saying. He's saying that the psalm is not naive. The psalm is actually very realistic about the threats and the insecurities that threaten us in our world. And yet it takes those threats and it puts them in the context of God's protecting and surrounding love. So let's do that together. Let's look at the threats that the psalm suggests face us and then put them in context of God's protecting and loving presence. So the first threat I think that the psalm sort of gestures for is what I'm calling the threat of our feelings, the threat of our feelings of discouragement and doubt. This is the first threat that makes us feel insecure and questioning our safety. Verse one says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. Other translations say, which cannot be moved. This is saying that for someone who trusts in the Lord, they can never be shaken. Now, I've got to confess something to you. Um, I have a hard time. I I personally don't relate to this verse very well because I personally do not feel like I am someone who is not easily shaken. I I actually feel that I'm quite opposite of that often, that one day I feel uh, full of faith and the next day I feel full of doubt. Uh, that one day I feel very positive and light, and the next day I feel sort of uh, uh, dismal and, and, and depressed. Uh, and, and, and I've found often throughout my life that many different things can happen, a lot of different circumstances and things can happen in my life that make me feel actually quite shaken, that make me feel sad, that make me feel afraid, that make me feel discouraged. I, I once had a counselor tell me, you have a complex interior life. Which, which, which I think now that I look back on it, man, you're pretty messed up. Um, and it's true that, that throughout my life, I have, I have struggled um, with some very strong, sometimes very negative emotions that are sort of roiling inside of me. And I got to tell you, and some of you might be able to relate to this, that sometimes those feelings of discouragement or doubt or even depression can feel very strong and they can actually begin to feel very real your feelings are telling you the truth about reality. So it feels hopeless, so it must be hopeless. It feels like I'm in serious trouble, so I must actually be in trouble. It feels like God is far away or he doesn't love me or maybe isn't there, so it must actually be true. Can any of you relate to that? Well, let me tell you something that I've learned over the years, and I think this psalm is teaching us, that feelings are actually very beautiful. Feelings are essential. Feelings are valuable. God made them. Uh, Feelings are so important. They keep us aware often of what is true. And yet, let me tell you the truth, friends. Let me tell you something that feelings cannot do. They cannot tell you the truth about God. And your feelings cannot tell you the truth about God or your 
relation to him. Our feelings about God cannot change God any more than clouds on a cloudy day can change the sun. They're fixed. What this psalm is inviting us to do is to learn to live through hard times, not by our feelings, but by the facts of God's faithfulness. It is not our feelings of God's love that save us, but the fact of God's love, the fact of his love, irrespective of our feelings. Again, Peterson says, discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by what I feel about him or about myself or about my neighbors. I love that. Discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God. And how do we know what we know about God? Well, one of the most powerful ways that we do that and that we align our feelings with the facts of God is through worship, what we're doing right now. You know, Jerusalem was the place of worship for God's people three times a year. God's people would, would make their way to Jerusalem. They would make their way to the temple. They would make their way to the feast despite all that they had been going through, despite the famines, despite the danger, despite the death, despite the pain, they would go to Jerusalem and there they would remember. They remember the truth of who they are. They remember that God loves them, that God made them, that God saved them, that God rescued them, that God's forgiven them, that God upholds them. They remember what is true, and this is what we do when we come together in worship. Whether it's like this online, or whether when we come together in our homes, or as we'll do next week and beyond, come together outside to sing and pray and, and, and remember the truth of God's word. We remember that we are made by God and loved by God and forgiven by God and saved by God and upheld by God. We remember the truth as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And so I just, I just want to encourage you, especially to you, brothers and sisters, who may be like me uh, and whose, whose feelings might be a little bit all over the place right now, where one day you're feeling good and another day you just feel like you just can't do this anymore. And there's no end in sight. And you don't know when things are going to happen. You don't know what the fall is going to be like. And you don't know what school is going to be like. And you don't know what business is going to be like. And, you're, and your feelings are all over the place. I just want to encourage you and exhort you, my dear brother and sister, return to the truth, the fact of God's word. Return to the truth that we hear in worship. Remember the fact of God's dependable, unchanging, safe, secure, the truth of God's surrounding love. That's the first threat, is our feelings of discouragement and doubt. But second, there is the threat of our pain and suffering. Another source of uncertainty and insecurity is not just our feelings, but the very real facts of our pain and suffering. The truth is, friends, that we don't just face feelings. We actually face true painful losses in reality. Uh, many of you have faced terrible, terrible losses, things that you never thought that you could do without you've lost. Some of you have lost really important people or things, even very recently. You get unexpected diagnoses that fill you with terror and sorrow about the future. Some of you have had shattering diagnoses just in very recent days. Sometimes we have painful and sometimes unbearable conflict in our relationships, our marriages, our families. I think recently many of us have become freshly aware of the terrible and brokenness and pain of the world, whether it's racism or oppression or injustice or, or the way that this pandemic has exposed things like poverty and inequity and, 
oppression and even just hopelessness. And, and it could just get really overwhelming. We lose heart over what seems like the utterly insurmountable, irreparable pain and brokenness of the world. And all of this can actually begin to produce some really hard questions like, why is God allowing this? It makes us feel afraid and insecure. And sometimes, I know some of you have felt this way, you begin to wonder whether the hands that you're in are really good. Good hands? These? For real? Well, the psalmist is is honest about this. This psalm was likely written in the exilic or post-exilic period, which means that there was a very good chance that this psalm was written in a time when Jerusalem had been overthrown. When Jerusalem had actually been taken successfully by a terrible siege by the enemies of God and where God's people had been murdered and raped and enslaved and scattered. This guy who wrote this psalm is deeply familiar with pain. He's deeply familiar with suffering. He has personally witnessed the murder and the destruction of God's people in God's place. And so yet, even there, even in the face of that, he says this in verse three, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. The scepter of the wicked will not remain. He's saying, as much as it may look that the wicked are winning right now, their days are numbered. The wicked will not remain. Their rule will not endure. God's purpose for his people cannot be undone. God's purpose for his world cannot be violated. It's almost like saying God has taken a leash and, and leashed the, the dog of evil and promises to restrain it and put it back in the kennel where it belongs. The days of evil are numbered. There's almost like a, a swagger in this guy's words, almost like a godly boasting in which he says, watch out evil. Watch out, oppressor. Watch out, corrupt political ruler. Watch out, sorrow. Watch out, suffering. Watch out, devil. God's coming for you. You will not remain. One of the things that I'm most sad about this missing the summer is the Olympics. Um, and it made me think about one of the most unexpected wins in Olympic history which was this guy named Stephen Bradbury at the 2002 Winter Olympic Games. Stephen was in the finals of the short track 100 meter speed skating. Uh, and he was an, the most underdog of underdogs. He was one of the oldest racers competing. The only reason he was even in the final was because everybody else got disqualified in the semifinal, and so he was automatically put there. And so here's this guy, Stephen Bradbury, pretty much hung up to dry, racing the four fastest speed skaters in the world, including the favorite Apollo Ono. And so you got to watch this. you got to go on YouTube and watch this. Because, you know, the short track 100-meter race is 10 times around the short track. And these guys are going around 10 times. And, you know, they, by, the, by the fifth and sixth time, Stephen Bradbury is so far behind the four other guys. And so far behind that by the last time, the 10th circuit around, he is more than 15 meters. That's more than 50 feet 
behind the four front runners. And so as they come around that final curve and each of those four begin to jostle to cross the finish line, they get tangled up together and they trip up and they all four crash into the wall. And then Stephen Bradbury, check out this picture. Stephen Bradbury just coasts on by (laughs) and wins the gold medal. He won. And he won not because he was fast. He won because he was the last one standing. The last one standing. And here's what I want to say, friends. Sometimes it looks like the hatred of men and the injustice of the nations uh, and the oppression of the earth uh, and the evil and the wickedness of sin and the ravaging of disease. It seems like these things have gotten off to a real fast start and there's no turning back. Looks like they will win. But I promise you, Scripture promises you, the whole Bible promises you, the gospel promises you that the love of God and the righteousness of God and the justice of God will be the last one standing in the end. That the enemies of God will fall. They will crash and they will burn. And long after the darkness of sin and injustice and hatred and oppression has disappeared, the love and justice and righteousness of God will stand. And so what does that mean? It means you can swagger. You can, you can have that godly boasting, confidently speaking words of protest to evil and injustice, and even the pain and struggle of this current moment, because you know that long after pandemics and political parties have left the scene, long after racial injustice and ravaging cancer and death and disease and divorce have been banished forever from the earth, You will be there and you will be fully alive in God's presence, rejoicing with God's people. You're in good hands. You're in good hands, y'all, the best hands. Evil will not remain. So we've looked at the threat of our feelings, the threat of our pain, and finally the threat of our own backsliding. The last one is, is, is really a pretty scary threat, and that's the threat of our own defection. We see in verse 4 and 5 a mention of those who are upright contrasted with those who turn to crooked ways. The psalmist may have in mind fellow Israelites who got swept up with the practices of the nations, who lost their way, who fervency got dim, who were choked by the thorns of the world. And this is a sober warning and reminder to us, reminding us that discipleship is actually really hard, that following Jesus on the upward call is not easy, and it is not an easy thing to take up your, your cross every day and to deny yourself and to follow Jesus. And we have seen people who have lost their way. We've seen people who have, who have defected, and that we might look for a way out. We might always look for a different path that offers a more comfortable way. And so this is sobering. And in fact, some of us right now might be in a place where we wonder if we have maybe strayed too far to ever get back. Maybe you feel really far from God. Maybe you haven't connected with him. Maybe you feel like you've messed up in some really serious way and you wonder if, in fact, you may be lost. So it may be that you feel like that maybe you're not in good hands because those good hands have dropped you. What do we say to that? Well, listen, friends, the story of God's people, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that the story of God's people is not a story of human faithfulness. 
It is a story, in fact, of God's faithfulness in the face of human unfaithfulness. The story of God's people is the story of a people who praise God on one day and then who build a golden calf the next. The story of God's people is the story of people who proclaim their loyalty to Jesus one day and then who uh, reject any affiliation with him the next. The story of God's people is an up and down journey. It is a sawtooth story, a story of profound stumbling and unfaithfulness and betrayal. And yet through it all, it is a story of God's promises, faithfulness, his commitment to uphold his people fast in love. You are secure forever, not because you can be sure of yourself, but because God is so sure of his commitment to you, that he is for you, that he loves you, and that he upholds you fast. Lead climbing is a climbing style when one climber takes the lead up a dangerous mountain or precipice, and periodically that lead climber latches the rope and him or herself into the face of the rock, while all the other climbers behind him or her are connected. That lead climber protects the climbers behind from falling. And one of, you can see a picture here of what that, what that, what that looks like. This is particular climb is, is up Everest. One of the most famous lead climbs in the world was in 1953 on Mount Everest. A group of seven men were climbing K2 and a storm quickly came in and trapped them at 25,000 feet. One of the climbers uh, became mortally ill. Uh, and as they attempted uh, a, a rescue mission to lower him down, the group of climbers lost their footing and the entire team of climbers horrifically began to slide down an ice sheet towards a crevasse. And one of these climbers named Peter Schoening made this almost miraculous split-second move in which he took his ice axe and jammed it behind a rock and held onto the axe with everything that he had, and he managed to stop the entire team from plummeting to their deaths. That is a legendary, it's called, uh, that climb is called the Brotherhood of the Rope. The leader held fast, and everyone connected to him was saved. And this is a truth for us, friends, that we are held secure, not by our hold on God, but by his hold on us. He has given us a, a lead climber in Jesus. It says in Hebrews 12, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who began and finished this race we're in. He's gone before us. He faced evil for us. He bore sin for us. He went down into death and hell for us. He rose for us. He ascended for us. He is reigning for us. He will come again for us. And by faith through the spirit, we are connected to him. And we are joined to a savior who will never lose his footing, who will never fall as long as he stands in heaven at the right hand of the father. Then by his ascended life, you are held up. Our hope is not in our ability to hold our ground in the midst of mayhem but Christ's ability to hold his ground for us. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of faith or you have a teeny tiny little bit of faith. What matters is your connection to Jesus. We see him, the right hand of God, holding us fast. And you might say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. Uh, you don't know what I felt. You don't know what's, what I've, what's happened. You don't know what's happened to me. 
And you know when I say that? It doesn't really matter. Because look what it says in verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are safe. Not those who trust in themselves. Not those who trust in their performance. Not those who trust in their moral record. Not those who trust in their righteousness. No, those who trust in the Lord. This is the gospel, friends, right here in the Old Testament. The gospel is the truth that you are saved, not by your efforts or record, but by the efforts and record of Jesus Christ for you. In him, connected to him, you are safe. So let me ask you again. In the face of the world's mayhem, are you in good hands? Don't you want to be in good hands? God's promise, the invitation of this psalm, is that you would find yourself in the good hands of God, the only place of lasting safety. His invitation is not into a comfortable life. It is into a protected life. It is not into a safe life. It is into a secure life. That's his invitation. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The very last phrase of the psalm in verse 5 is this, peace be on Israel. It's like the psalmist is saying, relax. Peace. Peace for Israel. Peace for God's people. Peace for you. And that's the final word to you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever your fears, whatever your worries, whatever you're overwhelmed by, whatever you're worried that's coming around the corner, hear this word from God, peace, rest, breathe. You are safe. Let's pray. Maybe just for a moment you would Bring to mind one thing in your life that is threatening you and making you feel insecure. Perhaps it is a feeling you have. Perhaps it is a problem or a pain. Perhaps it is a worry, situation you're in. What is the mayhem that occupies your mind? And then picture God surrounding you as the mountains surround Jerusalem, as a mother surrounds her child in safe and strong arms. Rest in the secure love of God. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved not by our faith, but by your faithfulness. Thank you that we are saved not by our efforts, but by your grace. Thank you that we are safe and secure forever in your loving arms. Thank you that in and through Jesus, you hold us fast forever. Help us to increase our faith so that increasingly our feelings align with the facts of your loving protection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.